Chapter 5, Part 2 of the Formation of Vegetable Molds Through the Action of Worms with Observations on Their Habits by Charles Darwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5, Part 2 The Action of Worms in the Denudation of the Land. Not only do worms aid indirectly in the chemical disintegration of rocks, but there is good reason to believe that they likewise act in a direct and mechanical manner on the smaller particles. All the species which swallow earth are furnished with gizzards, and these are lined with so thick a chitinous membrane that Perrier speaks of it quote, as une véritable armature. End quote. Footnote Archive de Zoologie Experimentale, Volume 3, 1874, page 409. End of footnote. The gizzard is surrounded by powerful transverse muscles which, according to Claparède, are about ten times as thick as the longitudinal ones, and Perrier saw them contracting energetically. Worms belonging to one genus, Digaster, have two distinct but quite similar gizzards, and in another genus, Molinigaster, the second gizzard consists of four pouches, one succeeding the other, so that it may almost be said to have five gizzards. Footnote. Nouvelle Archive du Muséum, Volume 8. 1872, page 95-131. End footnote. In the same manner as gallinaceous and struthious birds swallow stones to aid in the trituration of their food, so it appears to be with terriculus worms. The gizzards of thirty-eight of our common worms were opened, and in twenty-five of them small stones or grains of sand, sometimes together with the hard calcareous concretions formed within the anterior calcareous glands were found, and in two others concretions alone. In the gizzards of the remaining worms there were no stones, but some of these were not real exceptions, as the gizzards were opened late in the autumn, when the worms had ceased to feed, and their gizzards were quite empty. Footnote. Morin, in speaking of the earth and the alimentary canals of worms, says, Precipe cum lapalus comixtem vidi, end quote. De Lombrici Terrestris Hist Nat, etc., 1829, page 16. End of footnote. When worms make their burrows through earth abounding with little stones, no doubt many will be unavoidably swallowed. But it must not be supposed that this fact accounts for the frequency with which stones and sand are found in their gizzards. For beads of glass, and fragments of brick, and of hard tiles, were scattered over the surface of the earth, in pots in which worms were kept, and had already made their burrows. And very many of these beads and fragments were picked up and swallowed by the worms, for they were found in their castings, intestines, and gizzards. They even swallowed the coarse red dust, formed by the pounding of the tiles. Nor can it be supposed that they mistook the beads and fragments for food, for we have seen that their taste is delicate enough to distinguish between different kinds of leaves. It is therefore manifest that they swallow hard objects, such as bits of stone, beads of glass, and angular fragments of bricks or tiles, for some special purpose. And it can hardly be doubted that this is to aid their gizzards in crushing and grinding the earth, which they so largely consume. That such hard objects are not necessary for crushing leaves may be inferred from the fact that certain species, which live in mud or water, and feed on dead or living vegetable matter, but do not swallow earth, are not provided with gizzards. Footnote. Perrier, Archive de Zoologie Experimentale, Volume 3, 
1874, page 419, and a footnote, and therefore cannot have the power of utilizing stones. During the grinding process, the particles of earth must be rubbed against one another, and between the stones and the tough lining membrane of the gizzard. The softer particles will thus suffer some attrition, and will perhaps even be crushed. This conclusion is supported by the appearance of freshly ejected castings, for these often reminded me of the appearance of paint which had just been ground by a workman between two flat stones. Morin remarks that the intestinal canal is, quote, Empleta tenuissima terra voluti in pulverum redacta. Quote. Footnote Morin de Lambrici Terrestis, History Naturelle, etc., page sixteen. End of footnote. Perrier also speaks of quote, l'état de pâte excessivement fin à laquelle est réduite la terre qu'il rejette. End quote, etc. Footnote Archive de Zoologie Experimentale. Volume 3, 1874, page 418. End of footnote. As the amount of trituration which the particles of earth undergo in the gizzards of worms possesses some interest, as we shall hereafter see, I endeavored to obtain evidence on this head by carefully examining many of the fragments which had passed through their alimentary canals. With worms living in a state of nature, it is, of course, impossible to know how much the fragments may have been worn before they were swallowed. It is, however, clear that worms do not habitually select already rounded particles, for sharply angular bits of flint and of other hard rocks were often found in their gizzards or intestines. On three occasions sharp spines from the stems of rose bushes were thus found. Worms kept in confinement repeatedly swallowed angular fragments of hard tile, coal, cinders, and even the sharpest fragments of glass. Gallinaceous and struthious birds retain the same stones in their gizzards for a long time, which thus become well-rounded. But this does not appear to be the case with worms, judging from the large number of the fragments of tiles, glass beads, stones, etc., commonly found in their castings and intestines. So that, unless the same fragments were to pass repeatedly through their gizzards, visible signs of attrition in the fragments could hardly be expected, except perhaps in the case of very soft stones. I will now give such evidence of attrition as I have been able to collect. In the gizzards of some worms, dug out of a thin bed of mould over the chalk, there were many well-rounded small fragments of chalk, and two fragments of the shells of a land mollusk, as ascertained by their microscopical structure, which latter were not only rounded, but somewhat polished. The calcareous concretions formed in the calciferous glands, which are often found in their gizzards, intestines, and occasionally in their castings, when of large size, sometimes appeared to have been rounded. But with all calcareous bodies, the rounded appearance may be partly or wholly due to their corrosion by carbonic acid and the humus acids. In the gizzards of several worms collected in my kitchen garden, near a hothouse, eight little fragments of cinders were found, and of these six appeared more or less rounded, as were two bits of brick. But some other bits were not at all rounded. A farm road near Abinger Hall had been covered seven years before with brick rubbish to a depth of about six inches. Turf had grown over this rubbish, on both sides of the road, for a width of eighteen inches, and on this turf there were innumerable castings. Some of them were colored of a uniform red, owing to the presence of much brick dust, and they contained many particles of brick, and of hard mortar from one to three millimeters in diameter, 
most of which were plainly rounded. But all these particles may have been rounded before they were protected by the turf and were swallowed, like those on the bare parts of the road, which were much worn. A hole in the pasture field had been filled up with brick rubbish at the same time, viz., seven years ago, and was now covered with turf. And here the castings contained very many particles of brick, all more or less rounded. And this brick rubbish, after being shot into the hole, could not have undergone any attrition. Again, old bricks, very little broken, together with fragments of mortar, were laid down to form walls, and were then covered with from four to six inches of gravel. Six little fragments of brick were extracted from castings collected on these walks, three of which were plainly worn. There were also very many particles of hard mortar, about half of which were well rounded, and it is not credible that these could have suffered so much corrosion from the action of carbonic acid in the course of only seven years. Much better evidence of the attrition of hard objects in the gizzard of worms is afforded by the state of the small fragments of tiles or bricks, and of concrete in the castings thrown up where ancient buildings once stood. As all the mold covering a field passes every few years through the bodies of worms, the same small fragments will probably be swallowed and brought to the surface many times in the course of centuries. It should be premised that in the several following cases the finer matter was first washed away from the castings, and then all the particles of bricks, tiles, and concrete were collected without any selection and were afterwards examined. Now, in the castings ejected between the tesserae, on one of the buried floors of the Roman villa at Abinger, there were many particles, from one and a half to two millimeter in diameter, of tiles and concrete, which it was impossible to look at with the naked eye, or through a strong lens, and doubt for a moment that they had almost all undergone much attrition. I speak thus, after having examined small water-worn pebbles, formed from Roman bricks, which M. Henri de Saussure had the kindness to send me, and which he had extracted from sand and gravel beds, deposited on the shores of the Lake of Geneva, at a former period when the water stood at about two meters above its present level. The smallest of these water-worn pebbles of brick from Geneva resembled closely many of those extracted from the gizzards of worms. But the larger ones were somewhat smoother. Four castings found on the recently uncovered, tessellated floor of the great room in the Roman villa at Rading contained many particles of tile or brick, of mortar, and of hard white cement, and the majority of these appeared plainly worn. The particles of mortar, however, seemed to have suffered more corrosion than attrition, for grains of silex often projected from their surfaces. Castings from within the nave of Beaulieu Abbey, which was destroyed by Henry VIII, were collected from a level expanse of turf, overlying the buried tessellated pavement through which worm burrows passed and these castings contained innumerable particles of tiles and bricks, of concrete and cement, the majority of which had manifestly undergone some or much attrition. There were also many flakes of a micaceous slate, the points of which were rounded. If the above supposition, that in all these cases the same minute fragments have passed several times through the gizzards of worms be rejected, notwithstanding its inherent probability, we must then assume that in all the above cases, the many rounded fragments found in the castings had all accidentally undergone much attrition before they were swallowed, and this is highly improbable. On the other hand, it must be stated that fragments of ornamental tiles, somewhat harder than common tiles or bricks, 
which had been swallowed only once by worms, kept in confinement, were with the doubtful exception of one or two of the smallest grains, not at all rounded. Nevertheless, some of them appeared a little warm, though not rounded. Notwithstanding these cases, if we consider the evidence above given, there can be little doubt that the fragments which serve as millstones in the gizzards of worms suffer, when of a not very hard texture, some amount of attrition, and that the smaller particles in the earth, which is habitually swallowed in such astonishingly large quantities by worms, are ground together and are thus levigated. If this be the case, the, quote, terra tenuissima, end quote, and the, quote, pot excessivement fine, end quote, of which the castings largely consist, is in part due to the mechanical action of the gizzard. Footnote. This conclusion reminds me of the vast amount of extremely fine chalky mud which is found within the lagoons of many atolls, where the sea is tranquil and waves cannot triturate the blocks of coral. This mud must, as I believe, quote, the structure and distribution of coral reefs, end quote, second edition, 1874, page 19, end quote, be attributed to the innumerable annelids and other animals, which burrow into the dead coral, and to the fishes, holothurians, etc., which browse on the living corals. End of footnote. And this fine matter, as we shall see in the next chapter, is that which is chiefly washed away from the innumerable castings, on every field during each heavy rain of shower. If the softer stones yield at all, the harder ones will suffer some slight amount of wear and tear. The trituration of small particles of stone in the gizzards of worms is of more importance under a geological point of view than may at first appear to be the case. For Mr. Sorby has clearly shown that the ordinary means of disintegration, namely, running water and the waves of the sea, act with less and less power on the fragments of rock, the smaller they are. Quote, hence, end quote, as he remarks, quote, even making no allowance for the extra buoying up of very minute particles by a current of water, Depending on surface cohesion, the effects of wearing on the form of the grains must vary differently as their diameter or thereabouts. If so, a grain one-tenth of an inch in diameter would be worn ten times as much as one one-hundredth of an inch in diameter, and at least a hundred times as much as one one-thousandth of an inch in diameter. Perhaps, then, we may conclude that a grain one-tenth of an inch in diameter would be worn as much or more in drifting a mile as a grain one one-thousandth of an inch in being drifted one hundred miles. On the same principle, a pebble one inch in diameter would be worn relatively more by being drifted only a few hundred yards. End quote. Footnote. Anniversary Address. The Quarterly Journal of the Geological Society, May 1880, page 59. End of footnote. Nor should we forget, in considering the power which worms exert in triturating particles of rock, that there is good evidence that on each acre of land which is sufficiently damp, and not too sandy, gravelly, or rocky for worms to inhabit, a weight of more than ten tons of earth annually passes through their bodies, and is brought to the surface. The result, for a country of the size of Great Britain, within a period not very long in a geological sense, such as a million years, cannot be insignificant for the ten tons of earth has to be multiplied first by the above number of years and then by the number of acres fully stocked with worms. And in England, together with Scotland, the land which is cultivated and is well fitted for these animals 
has been estimated at about thirty-two million acres. The product is three hundred and twenty million tons of earth. End of part two of chapter five.